Good morning. Uh, today we are celebrating uh, 41 years of God allowing North Oaks Baptist Church to be here. Um, that is an incredible thing to, to think about, that we get to celebrate that. And uh, this celebration has, has really taken months of planning, months of thought, um, uh, then even um, purchasing meats, and men were uh, roasting them, smoking them, and so forth, and uh, a lot of planning uh, went in for this event, because um, it, it's important, church's fellowship, it's, it's just an important thing to do, uh, but um, God in his sovereignty has allowed a, another event to also happen um, at this time. Last night, Sharon Reitzamer called me uh, to tell me that Rocky had passed away sometime between Friday night and Saturday morning. And uh, she is with her kids, and uh, she is taking care of her kids and loving on her kids, and, and she's requesting a little bit of time and a little bit of space as she deals with this sudden loss. Um, but she, she did not want this to influence celebrating God's grace in 41 years. Um, Rocky, uh, he would come when we were not having anybody here, and it was just uh, me and the sound guys. And uh, Rocky, I, I'm not sure if he was here to make sure that my doctrine was sound or, or if he was here to encourage me. Uh, but he faithfully came all during the pandemic, and um, it, it was great. And I'm sure he would want us to continue. Now, I understand that um, this might be, uh, uh, this is a very, very hard thing to hear. And I'd like us to just pause for a moment and pray. Would you please pray with me? Father, in moments like these, we have to reflect on truth. And the truth is, is to be absent of the body, is to be in the presence, in your presence, Father, for all those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. Thank you for Rocky's testimony. Uh, thank you for his servant's heart here at this church, as a Sunday school teacher, as a deacon, as an elder. Um, Father, I pray that uh, you be the God of all comfort to Sharon, to the kids the grandkids. Father, this was unexpected. Father, I pray also that you'd be the God of all comfort to us as we um, contemplate this loss. We are rejoicing for where he's at, but we do miss him. Uh, Father, I pray now that, um, that we'd be able to focus our minds on you and on truth even as we heard this difficult announcement, and that your spirit would comfort us with your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verses 4 to verse 8. Jonah chapter 4, 4 through 8, and if you would, please, stand with me for the reading of God's word.
This is the word of the Lord. Verse 4. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm, then dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. You may be seated. We looked at last week that hope, hope anticipates, anticipates a change. As we look at hope, we can either hope in something that will change positively, that uh, maybe I'll get a new job, or, or maybe uh, something will change in my circumstance, or we can hope in something negative. I, I hope my coworker will lose his job. But usually we have hope, and that hope is in a change, some type of change that comes into our life. Now, in the book, uh, The The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, uh, we see a conflict in hopes that occurs. On one side, there's Edmund, and Edmund desires to have some Turkish delight. The queen has has given him some of this Turkish delight, and he tastes it, and it's so good. And she offers him more Turkish delight, but uh, he has to bring his two sisters and his brother. On the other side, there's Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And both of them them desire for winter to end. They desire for, for Christmas and for spring and for life. Winter represents just death and it continues just being cold but they're they're anticipating a change and Edmund's hope and the beaver's hope is in conflict one with another the change that they want to see is 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 in opposite direction and we saw from Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 that uh, a a hope deferred will cause the heart to be to be sick to get depressed And we ended with seeing that Jonah wanted to die. He thought his life was, he wanted God to just take his life. It was better to die than to continue living. His feelings are real. And his request is an honest reflection on how he feels. But is he justified in asking what he's asking? Now, we've seen that Jonah has run from God. Uh, He's mad with God because God has acted according to his character. God is sovereign and he chooses how to act and and, uh, Jonah is upset with that. He he would prefer that God succumb to his desires and that God would act according to how he best saw it rather than God being sovereign in all situations. He's angry at God. Now, What happens when you have to put your hope in a God that never changes? 
Usually hope is related to a change, but what happens when you're hoping in God and God never changes? He, he doesn't. He doesn't wake up one morning grouchy. He, he doesn't get up late. He, he doesn't ever, ever change. He's the same, always. Can we hope in a God like that? What we're going to be looking at today is that um, we must use both good and bad experiences in our life to find hope in God who never changes. We must use both good and bad experiences in our life to find hope in God who never changes. And to do this, we must question why we're angry. We must question why we're angry. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 4, it says, The Lord said, uh, Do you have good reason to be angry? Uh, the verse comes at this conclusion of Jonah declaring why he left, why he took off, why did he run for the presence of the Lord? Because he knew that God would act merciful. He knew that God would act with compassion, with grace. He knew that God would be uh, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents of calamity. And he did not want God to act that way. He, he, he doesn't like this. Now, up to this moment, what we've seen is, is really a, a monologue that's happening on, on different uh, characters. For example, uh, God talks to Jonah, and in talking to Jonah, it tells him, go to Nineveh and proclaim against it because their wickedness has come up before him. But there's no verbal reply of Jonah. There's only an action, and that is that he runs away. Uh, later on, um, you see that Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and, and he prays to God, but um, there's no reply from God. There's only an action. The fish ends up vomiting Jonah. Then in chapter 3, we see that God again commissions Jonah to go, and Jonah just goes. There's no dialogue, as we've seen, but finally, here we get to Jonah chapter 4, and, and Jonah is praying to God, but in this prayer to God, God now decides to respond. All of a sudden it becomes a dialogue. They're just going to discuss. And you would wonder, what in the world could God ask? What is he going to say to such a rebellious prophet? And to our surprises, he asks him a question. And the question is, do you have good reason to be angry? Uh, is it something well? Is there a good reason? Is it something orderly how you are feeling right now? Now, it, it's hard to see from just this context what the force of the question could be. Uh, we, we lack the intonation of the voice in, in this. And we just have that one line, so it's kind of hard to understand exactly maybe what is his tone could he be like uh, some of those mothers who uh, they really don't like to see their kids upset? And when their kid is upset and angry, they say, Oh, oh, honey, oh, don't, don't be like that. Don't be upset, honey. And, and they go, I was at a store uh, <clears throat> recently, and there was the child screaming, and there was the mom also kind of doing this whining thing. And uh, my, my flesh... My flesh uh, wanted to just slap both of them, but I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, I withheld that. I went 
to the other side of the store because she was pleading with him. Is God pleading with Jonah? You know, is he having this kind of whiny voice going on with him? I don't think the force of this question is a whiny God to Jonah. Maybe it's a sarcastic. Like, really? You're upset? Really? You have a good reason? Maybe it's like that. But I really think that the question is really just geared towards Jonah examining his feelings, examining how he is feeling at that moment. Now, Jonah needed uh, to question his anger. Is, as you look at that question, God is not questioning the validity of his feelings. That, he's not doing that at all. Uh, God is, is saying... Um, his feelings are real. He, he doesn't put into question the feelings. But he is asking, is he justified? Is it something good? Does he have a good reason to be angry? Uh, just because one has a feeling doesn't always mean that one is justified in having that feeling. Just because you feel a certain way, and in this context it's anger, and just because you're extremely angry at a situation, does not mean always that you're justified in being angry at that thing. Now, God asked him a question, and it implies a certain level of maturity. You know, if you've had um, young children, babies, and so forth, um, there's four things that that um, that, that babies need. Uh, they they need food, they need rest, they need their their diapers changed, and they need food. Uh, and they need that. I mean, it's just constantly, they, they just need that. A, a wise parent uh, can anticipate the need and see what's going on, and they provide what that baby needs. A foolish parent would try to argue with the, with the child. Look, I, I've got the pasta boiling. 17 minutes is going to be al dente. I'll drain it. I'll make this Alfredo sauce. It'll take me about seven minutes. You'll have this delicious supper, just, just wait and stop crying. That doesn't work for a baby. Why? They can't process what you're talking about, al dente. They can't process what it means that it's, it's, it's going to be perfect. What, what does that perfect look like? They're hungry now. The fact that uh, God is asking him a question, it kind of implies a certain maturity. And, and I wonder if we would have that maturity or if in our Christian walk we have continued to be at the same place over and over again. He asks him the question. He doesn't question his anger. He's just questioning, does he have a reason to be angry? And I think it's an important question to ask. Now, a prideful person will have trouble examining their anger. A prideful person always thinks that they are justified because the implication would be that they're crazy, right? If, if they're not justified in having their anger. They must be crazy, so they can't possibly be crazy. So they're always justified in their own eyes why they're angry. And, and if you cross them, they will tell you exactly what they think, and they'll feel justified. Prideful people have a, a terrible time examining their own anger. Humble people, though, already have a head start, because humility is one of the fruits of the Spirit. If the person has humility, they'll have 
the ability to question why they're feeling what they're feeling. Now, there was times when Jesus became angry. Remember that time when uh, he enters the temple and uh, they are exchanging funds, they're making the temple into a money-making machine? And Jesus goes in there and he starts turning over the tables because they had turned in the temple into a, um, a den of robbers. He was worried about God's reputation and people coming and worshiping God. You remember in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 and 24, Messiah, he said it, it, it will be more merciful to Sodom than to them because uh, if the things would have happened in Sodom that happened there, they would have repented. He was upset with them. He, he was upset with the Pharisees because the Pharisees would take what he said and, and twist it and, and try to lead the people away from him. Jesus got angry several times. But what was interesting is that his anger was uh, directed towards people preventing access to God or corrupting his teaching. In other words, it wasn't because they were walking down from Jericho to Jerusalem and somebody got in front of him and, and so he got upset about that. It wasn't that he was, uh, you know, about to clock in there in his father's car carpentry shop and, and uh, somebody butted in front of him and, and clocked in before him. In other words, his, his anger wasn't shown because of personal issues, but rather because those who had... Uh, we're, we're preventing others to having a relationship with God. Does, does our anger fit into that category? Or would we say that our anger is mostly because we don't like how people act around us? Now, we must question our anger. And if you never question your anger, uh, it might be because you're very, very prideful. Now, not only should we question our anger, but we should question our happiness. We see that in verses 5 and 6. It says, When Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it uh, in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. Now, God, Jonah has cried out to God, and God has replied to him through a question. You would think that the next thing would be to answer that question, right? I mean, that would be the, the logical thing to do. But what's interesting is he, he doesn't take any time to question. Rather, uh, he decides he's going to move away from the city that God has called him to preach in. God has called him to proclaim in that city. He, he does it for one day. And, and the people start to repent, and, and then he washes his hands and moves out to the east of it. To, to, to look. And, and not only does he do that, but he, he builds himself a shelter, like, like a little bit of a, a tent or a hut or something. And, and he sits down there with the purpose of, of understanding what will happen. What does it mean that he's waiting to understand, to see what will happen? It, it, well, verses 1 through 3, he has cried out to God that this saving of Nineveh is not right. And, and he would rather have his life taken from him than to see this happening. And maybe he thinks that God will now repent of repenting to destroy Nineveh. Maybe that's what God will do. And so he's going to sit there and watch to see if maybe God will repent of repenting to destroy Nineveh. 
He's out there waiting to see. In verse uh, 6, it says, So the Lord God appointed. It's an interesting construction of putting Lord God. It kind of carries this idea of the sovereign Lord, the, the one who is in control. He appointed. Now, now we've seen that word appoint before. And uh, it has this idea of um, him signaling out. It uh, was used in chapter 1, verse 17, when God appointed a great fish. Now God is going to appoint a plant. These are some interesting things that God decides to use. A fish, now he's going to use a plant. And he's going to use this plant in his life. And it says that, uh, verse 6, he appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be shade. It's an interesting word because it tends to have this idea of you find uh, comfort and shade uh, in the protection of the Lord as he is a great rock and you find comfort in him. But here, at first, he's finding shade in a tent that he himself built. Uh, but now this, uh, this plant is giving him shade and it's to deliver him from his discomfort. And the response that he had is that he's extremely happy about the plant. He, in his own effort, tries to build a, a tent, some type of meeting place, some type of place that he could have shelter. But unfortunately, it, it seems inadequate because as this plant grows over it, he, he is now better protected. And it says that he wasn't greatly uh, joyful over his own tent, but now that God has caused this one plant to grow over it, now he's extremely happy. In his own effort, he tries to make uh, a tent to find refuge from the sun. God gives him, in his mercy, refuge of the sun. And his heart is happy. He's very happy. He has a lot of joy. Now, why is Jonah happy? Is Jonah happy at the report that God has relented over what he was going to do to Nineveh? No, he's not happy. Verses 1 through 3 says he's very upset that God has repented from what he was going to do to them. He's very upset. Where is his happiness coming from? He's rejoicing because God has given him some relief from the heat. Now, how do we describe his problem? Uh, he is a serious problem. Uh, Jeremy Schwartz, in an article that he wrote for USA Today, Heat Rising, uh, claimed that uh, 70 people died last year here in Texas from heat stroke. Uh, Jonah has a problem, and his problem is the sun. But when you look at his problem and you compare the problem of God destroying Nineveh, it seems like the heat situation with God coming against Nineveh, they can't really be compared one with another. In other words, he has this problem that he thinks is a problem, and he wants a solution, and he's very happy that he has a solution, but he could care less about the fact that God has shown mercy to Nineveh. His happiness comes only from a selfish gratification. He is happy that God has given him some comfort. Now, um, how did Jonah solve this problem? He built a shelter, but this shelter really didn't protect him from the elements. 
So God in His mercy comes and provides a plant that gives him comfort. God moved into the life of this rebellious prophet and provided him shade. That's what he did. He provided shade for this rebellious prophet. Now, Jonah, he's happy, but he's happy at God's mercy and God's grace, but he's not happy at God. He's happy at what God has given him, but he's not satisfied in God himself. Oh, what a miserable situation to be in. And sometimes that happens in us. Where we enjoy God, where we love God for what He can give us. But not for just having Him. Not just enjoying Him. Not just fellowshipping with God. Now, as we look at this, we must question our happiness. Because sometimes we will be more enthralled with what God can give us than in actually having God. In fact, we could be more enthralled of glorious mansions and streets of gold and crystal sea rather than worshiping the risen Savior. Oh, what a sad life that would be of a person. Now, we should question our happiness, but we should also question why we despair. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. Question why we despair. As we see here, it says, But God appointed a worm. He appointed a fish. He appointed a plant. And now he's appointed a worm. And the worm came the next day. And it attacked. It's a word that has this idea to, to strike down. It's kind of, you've never seen a worm attacking, but if you could imagine a worm attacking, you know, uh, kind of like a Lord of the Rings type scene, uh, where they're coming down, you know, with their swords drawn, but this is, this is a worm doing this. And he's attacking the plant. He's coming after the plant. And he's attacking this thing. And it's, it's God, the sovereign God that has appointed the fish, he's appointed the plant, and he's appointed this worm. All in his timing, he's done this. And, and it appointed yeah, the worm, and it came up and attacked the plant, and it withered, it dried up. As in, there wasn't any more plant. And when the sun came up, and this is kind of an annoying thing of, of narrative and literature, is that it's hard to show uh, events that are happening at the same time because you would have to put words on top of words and then you wouldn't be able to understand it. So sun's coming up, and as the sun's coming up, this worm is attacking this plant. And as this worm is coming up, there's this eastern wind that comes and it's a scorching wind. And the sun is beating down on Jonah's head. And the worm is eating the plant. The worm that God appointed is eating the plant that God appointed. And the sun is beating down on Jonah's head. And Jonah is, is fainting. It has this idea that it's not that he just fainted, but as, as the plant withers... And as the sun continues to rise, and as the eastern wind keeps on blowing, he increasingly grows faint. Faint. He just doesn't know what to do. And he comes out with this saying, he says, um, he became and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. 
up in verse 3, he's asking God to take his life, but now he's, he's considering his own life. And he's saying, this is too much. This is too much. Now, what's interesting here is that when God first commissioned Jonah, Jonah was on dry ground and he sent him to Nineveh. But as Jonah ran away from God, he ends up out in the water and his life is very unstable. And there's a storm and his life is threatened. Now, Jonah, God gives him another opportunity and he's on dry ground and God commissions him again and he goes to Nineveh. But as Jonah now runs now the opposite direction away from God, Jonah is now in a very uh, harsh environment. Again, his life is threatened. He, he's despair. He has nothing to look forward to. He, he doesn't know. Uh, he doesn't even want to live. Does Jonah deserve the scorching wind in the hot sun? You bet he does. He's been a rebellious prophet. He's gotten mad at God. He's questioned God's mercy, His grace. Does he deserve it? Oh, he deserves it all right. He deserves much more than just the beating down sun and the scorching wind. He's been so rebellious and antagonistic against God. What we see is that just because God is merciful for a time doesn't mean that later on He won't judge. And that's an important lesson that we see in this book, is that just because God relents from Nineveh for a time, it does not mean that He won't judge later on. Many individuals live their life, they see the sun comes up again, and they think, huh, another day. I don't need to repent. I can keep on living for myself. I can keep on doing what I please. Because they assume that God's mercy means that he won't ever judge. Does Jonah deserve it? Oh, he deserves it. Why is Jonah despairing? He's despairing because God has taken away the blessing. Now, God has not removed himself. We'll see later on that God speaks to Jonah again. Jonah is in a covenantal relationship with God. God has not removed himself but he has removed his blessing. And what's interesting is that Jonah is faint in despair because he does not have God's blessing. Which makes us question, where was his hope? Did Jonah have hope in God, or did Jonah only have hope in the blessings that God could give him? I think it would be an application to us. Where is our hope? Is our hope that God will give us a good job, healthy family, maybe a good career? Maybe that there'll be world peace during our time so that we don't have to worry about certain things. Maybe, maybe God's blessing will be that there won't be inflation and, and gas prices will go a nickel a gallon. Wouldn't that be nice? Free camping at all state parks. But what if God takes away all those blessings? Is God enough? Is He enough in your life that He can take it all away and you'll be found in the darkest, darkest valley? Is He still enough? 
Jonah's upset. He's despairing because he has not found God to be enough in his life. And what a sad comment it is. As believers, we need to find our hope in God, the God who never changes. We must use both good and bad experiences in our life to find hope in God, a God who never, never, ever changes. We must do that by questioning our anger. We must do that by questioning our happiness. And we must question our despair. Now, some of you maybe cannot do this because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You, you have a religious vocabulary. You know when to stand. You know when to sit back down. You know how to dress. But you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You don't have a hope in God because you're hoping that um, your goodness is enough. And, and your goodness is not enough. If there was another way to be saved, it would have been absurd for God to send His Son to die for you. It would have. If there was any other way, if you could have worked your way there, it would have been ridiculous for God to send His Son. No, it's only through Jesus Christ and putting your faith in what He did. Saving you, rescuing you, purchasing you out of the slave market of sin, fixing your relationship with God so that you have His his love instead of His wrath. Giving you His righteousness. How do you do that? How do you get that? Oh, it's through believing what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's acknowledging your sin has separated you from God and there's nothing you can do and, and you must put your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did. And then you'll be saved. And you'll have a hope, which is God. To be in the presence of God. The forgiveness of sin is not so that we can have eternal life. It's so that we can be in the presence of God. It's to have God. That's where our hope is. Other of us here, maybe we are saved. But little by little, we have allowed God's blessings to detract us from God. We've allowed God to Bless us and bless us, and somehow we have thought that those are equal to God. And, and that should be repented of. Our hope is found in God, God who never changes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that uh, we see here in Jonah that you are a sovereign God that appoints and directs and controls all things. You're in sovereign control of everything. Father, maybe we've gone through some experiences this last week and, and things have changed and things have caused us to question. I pray, Father, that we'll put our hope in you, that we'll find our rest in you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, maybe... Maybe they're hoping that the economy will change. Maybe they're hoping that a political situation will change. But I pray that today they'll put their hope in Jesus Christ by believing in the work that he did on the cross as the only thing to save them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.